Hello, beautiful humans. First of all, thank you for listening to Crone by Design, a Dash of Everything podcast. I am your host, Miranda Meyer McCarty. Before we jump into the episode today, I just wanted to give some life updates as we are getting well into January now. And, you know, like some January winter mindsets, we just kind of begin to slow down and rest and take care of ourselves, and I definitely encourage all of you to do that. Remember to take some time to just breathe, have a cup of tea or coffee, and just reflect and just enjoy that we are still here and we're making a difference. So I just want to appreciate you as you appreciate me. And so yeah, January is kind of slow for the business as Uh, I don't have any shows for January, but I'm okay with that because it's a time to work on inventory, work on the office, like I mentioned in the past episodes, but I'm also bringing a few different goods to the business, so I'm just kind of like trying to do all my research, make sure everything fits with my outlook and how I set Crone by Design to be because my business is really depending on my business supporting other small businesses. So just to keep it small, supporting small. So I just try to be very intentional with everything I bring into the shop, but also how I set up the shop for shows. So I'm also, I'm crazy, you know this. I am redesigning how I have my booth layout. Yes, I have a couple of shows this year that is a space for 8x4, which is very unusual. Most booth spaces are technically like a 10x10. So 8x4, I'm like, okay, I need, I want to bring my all, but I also need to fit within these very tight areas. So I'm just trying to figure all that out. So that's some of the stuff I'm working on. And in February, I am so excited to announce that I will be a vendor again at Winterfest, which is an iconic beer festival in Indianapolis, Indiana. It is a lot of fun. My husband is a big beer nerd, so I love that I can be part of an event that he especially enjoys tasting different beers across Indiana. And of course, I can't do this without my mom as well. And so we usually team up on the show and work together and have a really great time and taste a whole bunch of amazing beers and get to know a whole different crowd of people. So that's very fun. I definitely recommend doing that. And then I'm also trying to work on building healthy habits. And so I'm working on transitioning from doing all of my house chores on a day during the weekend and try to do a little bit throughout the week to help with the upcoming vendor season. Because last year I was in a lot of shows, so sometimes my house chores were build up (laughs) a couple weeks of needing to get stuff done. So I'm trying to be more intentional with my home and my husband and our dog and making sure everybody is in a great space. (laughs) And try not to leave everything up to the last moment. So that's some of the things that are new with me. Uh, Today, we woke up and it was negative 6 degrees. So 
it's been pretty chilly this weekend, and if you hear any of the background noises, you know that's always Festus settling in as I record. I always do laundry while I record, and Lonnie's working on a few things around the house. So if you hear some background noises, I am sorry for that, but I hope you enjoy the show. This week we are discussing endometriosis. This disorder is one of the most common reproductive disorders among women. We will be going over what is endometriosis, symptoms, risk factors, complications, and other important information. I was actually going to make this a two-for-one episode over endometriosis and PCOS, but after researching, it was already 10 pages long, so I will in a later episode cover PCOS as they are very medical and technical term heavy episodes. It might be a good idea to break it up a little. I wanted to cover this topic because of how common endometriosis is, especially since it's really not a topic that is broadcast in many educational settings. And by that, I mean elementary, middle school, high school, college, It is not brought up in any type of education over menstruation, and I find there's a big error in that, as a lot of people actually can begin developing endometriosis right before their period or right at the beginning of their period, and so it's something that does affect menstruators in elementary school, in middle school, and in high school. And then, especially in college, not to even talk about it either, unless you specifically seek out a course about it, or a course about female reproductive health. Like, it's very frustrating. And so, I'm hoping that this episode will help you, will help other menstruators out there, new or old. Like, I just hope it can help someone because we just need to get the word out more about it. As I've only been around for the most part of people who found out they had it and had to ask specifically for a doctor to look into it. But I'm also very lucky to be around amazing individuals who research deep into women's reproductive health, among many other amazing topics. So I recommend... If you are invested in this topic or find it as fascinating as I, I definitely recommend looking into majoring in public health or getting a bachelor's, getting a ma- I'm sorry, a master's in public health because there are so many different parts of public health and women reproductive health is only one small part of that. So I always find it fascinating with the people I work with who research into this topic and so that's a little bit of interesting information you might consider later. On a more serious note, if you do feel like you might have endometriosis, please see your doctor and check. It is much better to be safe than sorry. Before we dig into this episode, I want to let you know most of the information that I will be sharing with you I took directly from John Hopkins Medicine. Mayo Clinic, and the Endometriosis Foundation of America. I did this on purpose to make sure I was sharing the exact language that these esteemed institutions use, which might translate if you are to talk with your doctor about these topics. 
and to know when you should push the issue for help too with your healthcare provider. I think this topic is extremely important to get this information out there for people to learn about and share with others to help people maybe get to the doctor sooner to also understand endometriosis and PCOS in an educational sense. All my sources are in the show notes, and I also included many further reading sources and some YouTube videos that might be of interest. How common is endometriosis and PCOS? Many women endure years of heavy bleeding and pelvic pain because of endometriosis or PCOS without knowing why. These chronic disorders take a toll both emotionally and physically and can create fertility challenges for those trying to conceive. Endometriosis affects an estimated 200 million women worldwide and approximately 1 in 10 women in the U.S., It strikes women from all racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic backgrounds. There is no known cause of the disease and no cure, though it is treatable. Because of the lack of education about endometriosis, pain or other symptoms are often dismissed as part of being a woman or misdiagnosed. This often causes a delay of a decade or more in receiving the proper diagnosis of endometriosis. PCOS affects 1 in 10 women of reproductive age and as many as 5 million women in the U.S. With overlapping symptoms and a dual history of being undiagnosed or misdiagnosed, it is very easy to confuse the two. To better understand endometriosis, one thing to note is that it is not simply a menstruation disease. It is a disease that can affect the whole body. By definition, it is when a a woman's uterus is lined with endometrial tissue. This lining is called the endometrium. Your body grows a new endometrium with each menstrual cycle to prepare for a fertilized egg. Endometriosis is a condition in which endometrial tissue grows outside of the uterus. Symptoms. The main symptom of endometriosis is pelvic pain. It is often linked with menstrual periods. Although many people have cramping during their periods, those with endometriosis often describe menstrual pain that is far worse than usual, and the pain also may become worse over time. Common symptoms of endometriosis include abnormal periods, spotting or bleeding between periods, painful periods. This is pelvic pain and cramping may start before a menstrual period and last for days into it. You also may have lower back pain and stomach pain. Another name for painful periods is dysaminoria. I am so sorry. I hope I pronounced that right. And then... Also, another symptom is pain with sex. Pain during or after sex is common with endometriosis. Pain with bowel movements or urination. You're most likely to have these symptoms before or during a menstrual period. Excessive bleeding. Sometimes you may have heavy menstrual periods or bleeding between periods. Infertility. For some people, endometriosis is first found during tests for infertility treatment.
Other symptoms, you may have fatigue or low energy, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, or nausea. These symptoms are more common before or during menstrual periods. The seriousness of your pain may not be a sign of the number or extent of endometriosis growths in your body. You could have a small amount of tissue with bad pain, or you could have lots of endometriosis tissue with little or no pain. Still, some people with endometriosis have no symptoms. Often they find out they have the condition when they can't get pregnant or after they get surgery for another reason. Again, if you experience any of these symptoms, please see a member of your healthcare team if you think you might have symptoms of endometriosis. Affected areas. It most often occurs on or around reproductive organs in the pelvis or abdomen, including fallopian tubes, ligaments around the uterus, the lining of the pelvic cavity, ovaries, the outside surface of the uterus, the space between the uterus and the rectum or bladder. More rarely, it can also grow on and around the bladder, cervix, intestines, rectum, abdomen, vagina or vulva, endometrial tissue growing, in these areas does not shed during a menstrual cycle like healthy endometrial tissue inside the uterus does. The buildup of abnormal tissue outside the uterus can lead to inflammation, scarring, and painful cysts. It can also lead to a buildup of fibrous tissue between reproductive organs that cause them to stick together. Doctors do not know exactly what causes endometriosis, but there are a few theories of what might cause it, the first being a retrograde or reverse menstruation. This is when menstrual blood flows back through the fallopian tubes and into the pelvic cavity instead of out of the body. The blood contains endometrial cells from the inner lining of the uterus. These cells may stick to the pelvic walls and surfaces of pelvic organs. Then they might grow and can continue to thicken and bleed over the course of each menstrual cycle. Transform peritoneal cells. Experts suggest that hormones or immune factors might help transform cells that line the inner side of the abdomen called peritoneal cells into cells that are like those that line the inside of the uterus. Another theory is embryonic cell changes. Hormones such as estrogen may transform embryonic cells, cells in the earliest stage of development, into endometrial-like cells growths during puberty. Surgical scar complication, or known as a direct transplant, this is when endometrial cells may attach to scar tissue from a cut made during surgery to the stomach area, such as a C-section. Endometrial cell transport in the blood or lymph system. Endometrial tissues may be transported to other areas of the body through the blood or lymphatic system, similar to the way cancer cells can spread through the body. Immune system 
condition, a problem with the immune system may make the body unable to recognize and destroy endometrious tissue. And one more theory is the Molarian remnant theory suggests that endometriosis precursors can be present during fetal development. It remains doormat until it is activated and transforms into endometriosis at puberty when estrogen levels increase in the body and menstrual periods begin. It is important to note endometriosis is not contagious and cannot be passed from person to person through contact. And of course, this is only a few of the theories that there are out there, as there is not any solid concrete proof that there is that we know exactly how endometriosis happens. Risk factors. Factors that raise the risk of endometriosis include never giving birth, starting your period at an early age, going through menopause at an older age, shorter menstrual cycles, for instance, less than 27 days, heavy menstrual periods that last longer than seven days, having higher levels of estrogen in your body or a greater lifetime exposure to estrogen your body produces, having a low body mass index, an abnormal uterus, which is diagnosed by a doctor, or one or more relatives with endometriosis, such as a mother, an aunt, or sister, any health condition that prevents blood from flowing out of the body during menstrual periods also can be an endometriosis risk factor, so conditions of the reproductive tract. As I'm recording this episode, I do notice that I do sound a little chunky in how I'm like pronouncing things, but it's also because this episode is a very big medical terminology episode. I know I'm not flowing as smoothly, but I'm also wanting to really share the information that can help. So please bear with me if it is a bit chunky, but I'm trying to get every you know, all the important information that can also help you in the future. So, let's continue. How does endometriosis impact someone's life? And with endometriosis, it can impact all aspects of someone's life, from it can interfere with attending school, participating in athletics, and or other extracurricular activities. It can alter career choices, or even force someone to give up a career. It can affect finances as one struggles to get a proper diagnosis or treatment, or as it interferes with work. It can impact relationships with romantic partners, friends, or family members who don't understand the disease and its effects. It can cause lower self-esteem. Many people who are uneducated about the disease, including some doctors and other health care professionals will dismiss a woman's pain as being normal or claim that it's all in her head, which all can be very infuriating and depressing situations. So all of endometriosis can impact all of your life. How can endometriosis be diagnosed? By a laparoscopy and pathology, 
The only way to verify pelvic endometriosis is to undergo a diagnostic laparoscopy with pathology, confirmation of biopsy specimens. So that means a tiny incision will be made in the patient's abdomen and samples of the tissue in question will be removed and sent to a lab to be viewed under a microscope to confirm if it is endometriosis. Another way is image testing is helpful, but it's not definitive. Despite popular opinion, clear evidence of endometriosis in any form is not visible through computed tomography, which is a CT, or a magnetic resonance imaging, an MRI, or ultrasounds, while image testings, pelvic exams, and retro, sorry, recto vaginal exams can indicate suspicion of ovarian and deep endometriosis, they cannot confirm it. Nevertheless, it is common practice to obtain a pelvic ultrasound and MRI before undergoing laparoscopic surgery for endometriosis, as these can help plan the surgical approach. Lab testing does not test for endometriosis. There is no blood, urine, or saliva test. Even though there are many scientific studies being conducted, there just needs to be more research being done. There is no actual go in the doctor and take a test like you would for a pap smear or other tests where you can draw blood and check on different markers. The big issue at hand, it takes an average of 10 years from symptom onset to receive an accurate diagnosis of endometriosis in the United States. This is due to lack of knowledge among the general public and the medical community. Unfortunately, many endometriosis patients are misdiagnosed, often multiple times, leading to unnecessary and inappropriate treatment. This is why it is crucial to spread further awareness of the disease and support research and funding. Treatment options. The first being deep excision. Deep excision is performed during laparoscopic excision surgery. The surgeon carefully excises or removes the entire lesion from wherever it is found. This includes the tissue beneath the surface. Deep endometriosis is like an iceberg. Despite the disease being identified above the tissue surface, the majority is implanted into the tissue below the surface. This is why it is crucial to find a surgeon who removes lesions in their entirety. Another treatment is cold decision. It is ideal to have surgery with minimal uses of heat and electricity. Often surgeons will use techniques such as ablation. That is when you use lasers that destroy the disease or cauterization, burning off the disease. To burn off and destroy endometriosis lesions, however, this increases the chances of not fully removing the deep endometriosis lesions and risk damaging surrounding healthy tissue. This does not mean lasers and high-energy devices cannot be used during surgery, as they can often be helpful or coagulation stopping bleeding but they should not be used for removing lesions. Other forms of surgery. 
Ablation and cauterization only remove the tissue on the surface, as in superficial endometriosis, but it neglects the tissue growing beneath the surface. In many cases, ablation or cauterization surgery will not be effective for the long-term management of deep endometriosis. Excess scar tissue can also form using these sorry, methods due to the high energy and heat applied to surrounding healthy tissue. In some cases, the inflammation following ablation and cauterization can be another source of pain. This is why excision surgery is the gold standard for treatment. If a patient is, consider sorry, is considering surgery, they must ask their surgeon about the removal method. Another treatment option is hysterectomy. It is a common myth that having a hysterectomy will cure endometriosis. There is no cure for endometriosis and a hysterectomy is rarely the best treatment. Most endometriosis is simply located in other areas than the reproductive organs. If you simply remove the uterus and do not excise the remaining lesions on other organs, the patient will continue to have pain. Decisions regarding a hysterectomy should be made with a doctor experienced in treating endometriosis and should only be performed if agreed upon by the patient. Although a hysterectomy does not cure endometriosis, some women with endometriosis also have endomyosis. A hysterectomy can cure endomyosis, and if it is the major part of the problem, give significant relief. To be clear, also women who receive a hysterectomy will no longer be able to get pregnant. Another treatment is ophorectomy, which is removing the ovaries. Your doctor may also recommend removing the ovaries with or without a hysterectomy. This will stop the release of hormones and should definitely treat Definitively, sorry, should definitively treat endometriosis, but it will put you into menopause. Removing the ovaries will significantly lower estrogen levels and slow or stop endometrial tissue growth, but it does come with the risk and side effects of menopause, including hot flashes, bone loss, heart disease, decreased sexual desire, memory problems and depression and or anxiety. For those reasons, the decision to proceed with removing your ovaries is one made between the patient and their physician based on case-specific factors and the patient's personal goals. Women who do remove their ovaries still have their uterus may be able to get pregnant with IVF. Doctors can harvest eggs from your ovaries before the surgery and preserve those eggs for fertilization and implantation in your uterus later, or an egg donor can be used. How can symptoms be managed? Treating the symptoms, not the cause. There are many ways to relieve endometriosis symptoms, but these options do not treat the endometriosis itself. Instead, they alleviate some of the symptoms caused by the condition. These include low-dose oral contraceptive, hormonal intrauterine device rather than copper, 
painkillers such as a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, hormone therapy, acupuncture, changes in diet. And to note, not everyone is the same. While all the above options could release symptoms, every patient will benefit differently from each treatment. What may work for one woman may not for another. Endometriosis still requires much more research and knowledge. Each patient must trust their own judgment, work with their physician, and find a pain management strategy that works best for them if they explore alternative treatment measures. Complications. The first being infertility. Up to half of people with endometriosis have a hard time conceiving. For pregnancy to happen, an egg must be released from an ovary. Then the egg has to travel through the fallopian tube and become fertilized by a sperm cell. The fertilized egg then needs to attach itself to the wall of the uterus to start developing. Endometriosis may block the tube and keep the egg and sperm from uniting, but the condition also seems to affect fertility in less direct ways. For instance, it may damage the sperm or the egg. Even so, many with mild or moderate endometriosis can still conceive and carry a pregnancy to term. Healthcare professionals sometimes advise those with endometriosis not to delay having kids. That's because the condition may become worse with time. This last complication I wanted to put out there, even though it might be a bit scary to first say out loud, and that is cancer. Some studies suggest that endometriosis raise the risk of ovarian cancer. However, the overall lifetime risk of ovarian cancer is low to begin with, and it stays fairly low in people with endometriosis. Although rare, another type of cancer called endometriosis-associated adenocarcinoma can happen later in life to in those who've had endometriosis. Thank you to everyone who has listened to this episode, and I hope you have enjoyed it and found some inspiration or something of value. I hope this was a good informative episode on endometriosis as we covered a lot of ground. I wanted to cover this topic because how little education there is about this, how little, I know my doctor has never talked to me about this, and I just thought having a good, informative episode on language directly used from these big institutes, how maybe understanding the background of endometriosis and the symptoms and the side effects, and then possibly if you're like, oh, I might have that, that you might find a way to now have a informed conversation with your doctor. And if your doctor gives you pushback of any kind, maybe finding a different doctor and how to look for the correct doctor, which you want to test for endometriosis with. And then if you do have endometriosis, knowing you have the right surgeon in which to do the surgeries. So I know this was a big, chunky episode with a lot of terminology, and I know I sounded very robotic in a lot of it, but I wanted to honestly express what it is with endometriosis and how to give it to you in a form that you don't have to do a deep dive of what is this pain that you're feeling. And so I hope this helps. 
And also in the show notes, like I said, I took a lot of this directly from John Hopkins Medicine, Mayo Clinic, and the Endometriosis Foundation of America. So I have those all properly sourced in my show notes, but I also attach a ton of further reading. And these are documentations from research, they're from different medical fields, and how different government bodies too, how they look at endometriosis. I also recommended a ton of books. I found this from the Endometriosis Foundation, and it's how to talk to your doctor about endometriosis, how other people have found out their diagnosis, and just more empowering information out there. I also included a few YouTube videos and a couple articles on finding the right endometriosis doctor and endometriosis resources for people of color. So I just wanted to let you know I have a ton of stuff in the show notes that I hope will be able to help you. So I hope this helped and I will take a couple episodes before diving into PCOS as I know this was a very long episode, but thank you so much for hanging in there till the end. Please help support the podcast by liking, reviewing, and downloading episodes and tell your friends. You can let me know if you have any recommendations or stories you would like to share in a listener story. You can submit all those at cronebydesign.com and click on the Submit Stories for Podcast tab and fill out the form. You can find me, the podcast, and my shop at cronebydesign.com. If you're interested in more information on how you can become a sponsor of the podcast, please reach out to me at cronebydesignpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone. I will see you next week, and please be safe out there.